for another big episode of Under the Bar podcast brought to you by the Icon Performance Health Centre. Hello, my name is Tom. And I'm Rawdon. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. It's I'm Rawdon. I thought I'd put you on the spot there, yeah, mate. Yeah, why not? Big show today, mate. We've got Mike Isretel part two. Yeah, this was really interesting. So part one was absolutely fascinating, mate. I've tried to apply a few little bits and pieces. You know, he was talking about the importance of providing the body with a real abundance of nutrients to optimize that signaling, yeah, that, that's that, right. that muscle signaling and... Uh, yep. So, so you've, been, you've been balls deep in uh, some excessive calories, I think. Mate, you know, you forget about how challenging it can be to try and get all that food in, you know, just sure. to, you're feeling hard. full and sluggish all the time, yep. getting, getting up full and not wanting to eat protein and fats for breakfast at all and yeah. forcing it down and the, down extra, the, the extra work the uh, digestive system has to do. Mm. Fortunately, that's actually working quite well, yep. but certainly if your digestion was under the pump or slightly compromised yeah having a real surplus of calories would be hard work and probably you know not advantageous at all yeah yeah i mean um again emphasis put on the uh, digestive system and it working well i mean mm. there's absolutely no point uh with excessive uh, or uh energy surplus but but likewise and uh, uh, uh even more so um in a, in a neg- deficit negative mm. energy balance because um you know what little nutrition you're throwing in there uh, is not getting uh, digested and yeah. assimilated optimally if, if again, there's digestive issues. So it, it does certainly, uh, it all comes back to having that healthy digestive system. But, um, but yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I would much rather uh, trade places, Tom. I, you know, I, I go from uh, meal to meal, you know. Scraping, scrounging. Feeling like I'm, uh, you know, dying of malnutrition. But, um, yeah, it's an unpleasant existence for me at the moment, but it's a, it's a necessary evil. Yep. Uh, you know, the... Your the, time will come. My time will come, yeah. And I, I've had my time in the past. Yep. Uh, aside from, obviously, for our listeners, you know, keeping the, the, adi- uh, the visceral adiposity at bay, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing a bit of a cutting phase. You're on the shred and, train. Uh, shred yeah. train. So, um, it's just part of my world at the moment. Yep. But, uh, Interesting. That's the way it is. Well, we'll um, find out more about nutrition and how uh, Isretel likes to approach things in part two of his yep. interview, which is coming up very shortly. A few, a uh, little bit of eye dotting and T-crossing, Rawdon. Yes. Uh, the true Celtic, of yep. course, um, uh, Sean Cooper from Sabido Supplements, who was on... Uh, very a wealth rich. of knowledge on proteins. Absolutely. More than happy to send out the true Celtic to a couple of listeners, two packets per episode. Yeah. Go to the Under the Bar iTunes page, leave a review there take a screenshot. screenshot of the review email through to info at under the bar podcast.com and uh, you will get your true celtic that's that they can go to the under the bar podcast yep.com under the bar podcast.com yeah like a legit website now legit website and there's actually a fair bit of content up now we've got a you know five or six blog posts uh, that are up there and um, awesome. that, that's uh, quite useful to actually go with the content that you're listening to yep. a little more succinct than the wafter that you and i go on with yeah, the poly waffle correct um, the dubois method facebook and instagram dot yeah, com's uh, on its way it's coming soon if you if you punch that in www.thedubaimethod.com Ever elusive. Yes. And uh, tomhewitt.com.au to find out more about me. Enjoy. <coughs> oh. <Broken> your throat. <laughs> Enjoy Mike Isretel part two. Right, sleep well, don't stress out too much, and you'll give yourself the best chance for muscle growth. Okay. That's awesome. So, you know, like... Uh, I heard you say that, um, you know, some fat gain in a hypertrophy phase 
uh, is acceptable, not excessive, obviously. You don't want to get out like a, the, the, the boys in the... Um, you know, the Jim, off season. Jim, Jim Pierre Fox in the in the nineties, or one of these guys that gets like <laughs> sure. a you know a blimp in the off season. But Lee, some Lee, fat Lee Priest, yeah, three hundred pound Lee Priest at whatever height. Like oh my god, but oh um, god. so some fat gain, fine. Uh, a positive energy balance to basically switch on that uh, anabolic machinery, and uh, controlling the, the 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 stress would be the the, the go tos to maximize. Uh, and doing nothing after you train, I guess, would be the. The other mm. point there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, awesome. and you know, as far as as far as hypercaloric intake, I think it's slow and steady. It wins the race, but not slow or slow, super slow. Yeah. I think there's probably some merit to going a little bit faster than you would otherwise expect, because I think an overload principle of sorts applies to dieting as well as training. Yeah. I think if you have a lot of food coming in, your body kind of goes, "Oh, holy shit!" Like we can really do some some real expansion here. Whereas if yeah. you have just enough to make it grow, then maybe it isn't going to pull out all the stops. I think that for most individuals. Just about a half a kilo a week during a, ma- a mass gain phase is good, okay. and uh, you know I'll tell you this: if, if you're working with guys who use uh, anabolic substances uh, who are competing in non-tested federations, it's tough because you know water weight changes are so drastic that it's difficult to track that body weight change. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, uh, so so that's the biggest thing. But I still think those guys only should go at about half a kilo a week. Here's why: because if you're taking drugs, you had better be good already. Because if you weigh 50 kilos and you're taking drugs, <laughs> you're a fucking idiot and there's nothing to say to you. Yeah. But No drugs for Cam. You got to wait. <laughs> Sorry, Cam. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you're already pretty big, 100, 110, 120 kilos, yeah. and you're taking drugs, muscle growth is hard for you now because you're so experienced and you're already yeah. so large. And people say, you know, one of the stupider statements I've ever heard is, well, of course these bodybuilders can gain mass really fast, these big IFBB guys, because they're on drugs. Well, for them, growing muscle is harder than it is for a noob. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. drugs, it's harder than for a noob who's drug-free. Yeah. So when these IFBB guys blow up to these huge off-season body weights, most of the best bodybuilding coaches say that's really stupid because it's a lot of water, it's a lot of fat, yeah. and it's not as much, it's not a ton of muscle so that half kilo i mean let's let's put it this way if you're jamming insulin and you're jamming a shitload of tests and a shitload of gh and you only go at half a kilo a week and you do you know let's say uh 10 weeks right of mass gain phase let's say because you were jamming it in with that many drugs that you gained pure muscle that's five fucking kilos of muscle yeah you keep that up, you'll be Mr. Olympia in no time. <laughs> so so when guys say, like, oh, I could gain faster than that, shut the fuck up. Not muscle, exactly. you can't. Because right. if you could really gain muscle that fast, you would be fucking, you know, you'd exactly. be Big Rami and you would yeah. weigh 140 kilos on stage or some crazy <laughs> shit like that. It'd probably be like 150 this year at Olympia. That's fucking insane, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Micah, so I gather that the actual process long-term of building muscle isn't really linear. So there'll be little uh, spurts and, and Plateau, fits of, yep. of growth. And when you talk about these uh, satellite cells, they obviously take a little bit of time to for the hypertrophy to manifest. Is there any science that sort of indicates, you know, how many satellite cells you can sort of lay down in a week of really hard training? 
Almost no. No. Uh, there are some studies, but they're usually not done in bodybuilders. They're it's done in like, soccer time. players. Yeah. Uh, untrained people, and it's very hard. So you know, it's very hard to get us. We don't know how many satellite cells anyone has. Uh, so a biopsy is when you take a piece of muscle out and you can start counting things. Yeah. But you're not so sure that the place you hit in the muscle is representative of the rest of the muscle. Yes. So you, yes. you can't exactly extrapolate to the rest of the muscle. Um, and you, you, you know, it's really hard to count cells and then and then okay say so it was 100 satellite cells and then two years later bring the people back and say how many satellite cells do you have left yeah you know so a lot of the stuff there are a little bit of research here and there but a lot of it has to be speculation yep. we do yep. know something though from research that really comes in handy you know a satellite cell aside for a second we know that as you train with high volumes over and over and over uh anabolic signaling is activated in excess of catabolic signaling so every time you train, you actually activate AMP kinase and all those catabolic regulators to some extent, as well as the anabolic signals. What's One thing that's pretty clear from the science of training in, in a bunch of different sports is that as you continue to train with high volumes for weeks and especially for months on end, there is a blunting of anabolic activation and an expansion in the activation of those catabolic signaling mechanisms until the following happens. There is an equivalent activation of anabolic and catabolic from each session, and you are officially spinning your wheels. Mm. If you keep that up, and you're still not overreached or something, and you're still alive, then you just start to lose muscle, actually, because the catabolic mechanisms actually go faster, uh, have more activity than anabolic. We've seen that with some bodybuilders every now and again. I don't know if you guys have seen anything in person like this happen, but a guy will be training hard, training hard, training hard. He just like looks worse and worse. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm, I'm fucking training as hard as ever, but I just, I, it, it, uh, one of the ways you could spot this is they, they start to lack fullness in their muscles. You just they kind of fucking look dried out all the time for some yeah. reason, kind of deflated. Stringy. S Totally. You don't ever hear. It's not. That's not something you want to hear from the judges. You know, <laughs> after the show, like, nice and stringy. Like, Great. <laughs> sweet. You know, I could be in the fucking. What is that? What's that? Brad Pitt movie? Um, people oh. say they want to look like him. Uh, 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 five seven. Club. Fight Club? Fight Club. Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> this random movie. Like, oh, yeah, World War Z. Like, he's never naked in that. Like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, Brad Pitt Fight Club. Like, you're not going to – it's not a look you want if you're in physique sport, obviously, mm -hmm. right? So um, – uh, I think there's a very good uh, kind of circumstantial evidence and evidence from other sports that every – for sure every couple of weeks with a deload, but probably every couple of months, it's a good idea to get away from hypertrophy training, stick yep. with only strength training, keep the intensities high, keep the volumes of training low for probably about a month at the very least several weeks so that those pathways – can resensitize again those anabolic pathways can resensitize and become really responsive and those catabolic pathways can die down on their activity one of the easiest i think uh pretty reasonable ways to tell that this is happening to you that you have been resensitized is the following you guys will catch on real quick uh, with a lot of your experience i'm sure you've had this if you're cranking away with high volume training after a while you start to not get as sore as you used to from mm, the same yep, shit yep. and your pumps just aren't as good mm. And you're still eating, you're still training well, but the pumps just don't feel the same. They're not big. And you're not nearly as sore. You know, after the workout, you recover pretty fast. And you're like, okay, like I feel like I did some shit, but I didn't feel like it really hit me. If you do a low-volume phase of sets of mostly five, you know, four to six reps, relatively heavy, not a ton of sets, you don't feel sore at all during that stuff because you're used to weighing more, right? Yep. But as soon as you go back to doing sets of eight or ten and bump up the volume with more sets, 
that first workout back, like you do a chest workout, and you're like, my pecs are going to fall the fuck <laughs> off my yeah. body. Yeah. You get unbelievable pump. Shit. You get crazy soreness, and you're like, holy shit. You, and that, is, I think, is a good symptom of being resensitized. Mm. And you see that sort of thing with people who have been detrained. Like if you're in a hospital bed for a while, walking makes you sore, and walking at that point actually grows your muscles. We don't want to get that much, but we want to be able to get away from always pushing that hypertrophy so those, ma- those mechanisms of hypertrophy can resensitize so they can produce more weeks and months of good growth for us. And I think the best way to do that is a low-volume strength phase. Why do we have to train with high intensities during that time? Because high intensities have been shown to retain muscle really, really well if the volumes aren't high. If you drop both volume and intensity for weeks and weeks, you start to lose muscle. But if you, even with very low volumes, volume's low enough to allow that resensitization to occur, if you use high intensities, and that means heavy weights, then you actually don't lose much muscle. You don't feel as full because there's not as much muscle damage. Yeah. You don't have that you know, puffiness to the muscle, and mm. lower levels of glycogen. So you kind of feel like, oh, I feel pretty strong. I don't feel as full, but as soon as you, one or two weeks after you go back to volume training, you're going to be the biggest you've ever been, and you've made an investment for weeks and weeks of good growth after that. Yeah, awesome. That, uh, that deload that I do with my clientele as well, based on uh, you know, discussions with yourself, uh, intensity, uh, keep intensity up, but uh, just cut volume in half, generally speaking, for our listener, on that sort of uh, fourth or third or fourth, fifth deload week, uh, yep. in a, uh, essentially in a program. So that would be the rule of thumb: keep intensity up to maintain that muscle and cut the volume down in half. Uh, I think so. And then you know, if it's a real good deload every now and again, especially you want to cut intensity as well, okay. uh, so that people can heal up with joint stuff. You know, because if you're always training right. heavy, even if sometimes you do low volumes. Just heavy training itself can beat you up. So I yeah. think that in a deload, in a classic deload, what you want to do is cut volume for the first part of the week and then cut volume and intensity probably in the second part oh, of the week awesome. just to give the clients a really good total break from overload of any kind. Okay, but good. those phases of training in which you're really re- desensitizing or re- sorry, resensitizing the muscle to growth, they should last, they should be a block yeah, of their own. About a month, Maybe yeah. four or five weeks. Yeah, about a month. Okay. And then it's all high intensity, low volume. And of course, you have to deload from that as well by doing the total low intensity deload and of course low volume. And then after that, person's going to feel basically untrained. They're going to have kept most of their muscle all right, but so they're going to be like, holy shit, I don't even feel like a trained athlete. And then you start to slowly ramp up the volume. You don't need much because they respond really well. And then as you get into the extremes of volume again several months later, you know, you're know you already at their MRV. You've already used metabolite training. You've, you've done yep. you know higher rep and drop sets and supersets. You guys, have, I'm sure you've had clients and maybe yourselves – where you just fucking ran out of tricks. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah. I've done everything and you're just not growing anymore. You're just not responding. You're not getting fucked up. Then you know it's time for another one of those low volumes. Beautiful. All right. So uh, while we, before we move on from this one, so we know that we need to give the the SRA, the, the, the stress, the response adaptation. We get that. Uh, that needs to occur. We know we can't beat them up into a, put them into a coffin and they go out in a wheelchair. That's too much. Yep. Uh, so let's have a look at, uh, we get that side of things. We need to provide a pretty significant stimulus. Uh, what about frequency per body part? I know, uh, you know, some, uh, my frequency uh, after talking with yourself and I've seen it's a good effect. You know, generally, um, you know, I train everything twice a week. 
Uh, obviously, you mentioned the elite powerlifters and uh, elite athletes might not be able to uh, do you know high intensity frequently, but mm. general rule of thumb, body parts for our listener. What what should uh, some rules of thumb per body part per week? You know, the the bigger muscle groups, sort of uh, twice is it two, two or three times? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? that's kind of where I start the discussion, and then there's a lot of individual variation to adjust for. But I would say that for very small muscles that don't tend to get very sore uh, from training, I think frequencies of three to four times a week are a pretty good okay. place to start. Um, and I'll give you an example in just a second that I think is comical violation of that. And then um, I think for larger muscle groups, uh, two times a week is a good place to start. And sometimes if you get really big, you can start to alternate um, – heavier more stimulative sessions versus kind of more recovery and maintenance sessions oh, yeah. so i mean like for example i train quads i would say like not not sort of not twice a week but like one and a half times a week what do i mean by that i have one big quad day which hits the hamstrings pretty hard and then later in the week i have another another leg day which on which quads get hit but not really hard because if i hit them super hard twice a week i would overreach in a week mm, okay um, it's just not sustainable very good. So uh, then I hit my hamstrings and my glutes much harder, right? So I kind of do some alteration. But, you know, my, I, I'm going to brag, but here I go. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my legs are pretty fucking big, and I can move some serious weight. So, you know, if, if your legs aren't gigantic yet, most people can survive two day, two sessions, of no problem. Yeah. But for the bigger folks, especially the guys, um, you know, it's really it, – it starts to be one of those situations where you have to expand your frequency – and I can understand how someone like Big Rami can yeah. train legs only once a week. I get it because yeah, if yeah. my legs were that big, I don't know if they would recover on time for for high frequencies. Um, but I think that's a general recommendation. So, so sort of two to four for most body parts. For the smaller ones, three to four for the bigger ones. You know, two or an alternating split. Where I wouldn't want to say once a week for most people. That's not frequent enough. But kind of one big session, one smaller session. Mm. Um, but I will, I will give you my quintessential example of misapplication of SRA to bodybuilding. Yeah, People who train rear delts once a week. <laughs> you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, how many times in your life have your rear delts even been sore? Like, for me, it's like three ever. And I've thrown everything at them. Yeah. And the thing is, the more I throw at them, the more they grow. And it, can you, what the fuck does a rear delt workout even look like? And here's another funny thing while I'm on this rant. Bodybuilders will be like, oh, man, my front delts are too big. My rear delts can't catch up. And you look at their shoulder workout, it's like overhead press barbell, three by ten. Huh. Overhead press dumbbell, three by ten. <laughs> Front raises for shoulder, 3 by 10. Side laterals, 3 by 10. Oh, a machine rear delt, 2 by 12, and then I leave. Like, yeah, yo, no, yeah. fuck, you do that once a week? Are you exactly. fucking kidding me? Your rear delts literally get the equivalent of you coming in and squatting for two sets of 10 once a week. Yeah. Except they're like one-tenth the size of your quads. Mm -hmm. They don't accumulate nearly as much damage. They heal way faster. So when people say like, oh, you know, I think one time a week training is good, they're thinking of like chest and back and quads. Well, you can get away with training one times a week but rear delts come the fuck on medial delts biceps there's no way you can train your biceps once a week and have them be fucked up for a week that's nonsense so for those muscle people say really four times a week are you crazy i think a lot of times they think like i'm doing like high bar squats and then leg presses four times a week no i would die also if i did that mm. but rear delts calves for some folks medial delts biceps forearms like come on you can train them three or four times a week no problem 
And so, Mike, do these, the smaller muscle groups, do they actually have different qualities throughout the growth cycle or is it just purely a product of the size of the muscle and the amount of damage? You know, it's both. It's both. Uh, it depends on the muscle. It depends on the fiber type of the individual. But a lot of these smaller muscles, particularly the delts, sometimes have more slow twitch muscle fibers uh, as a percent than other muscle groups. Mm. Um, and what ends up happening is that slower twitch muscles, and this is actually varies between individuals. Some individuals on average have more slow twitch fibers. Slow twitch fibers tend to be more vascularized. They have a better blood supply. And the SRA curves they go through are demonstrably shorter. So right. SRA curves for endurance ac activity, for example, which mostly taxes the uh, slow twitch fibers, the SRA curves go go through completely within 12 hours usually. Yeah. Um, so slow twitch fibers just don't they don't grow muscle for very long. Mm. Whereas fast twitch fibers they tend to get hit super hard and they don't even start growing muscle until like 12 or 24 hours later and then they grow muscle for like three or four days and then they peter off. Whereas a slow twitch muscle, you know, for slow twitch fibers you would never get that kind of delay. So for muscles that are more slow twitch, for me personally, for my physique and for many though not all others, medial delts, rear delts tend to have really slow twitch qualities. You know they're not really good at heating a ton of weight. They're really good at endurance. They they get more sore and more fucked up from the burn and other metabolite type training. If I do like sets of five or sets of eight for my hamstrings or something which on me tends to be more fast twitch, I'm going to be sore like fucking crazy. Yep. But if I do sets of five or eight for my medial delts, I mean, literally won't feel a won't fucking do a thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, I think most of us can agree on that. And then, and then, you know, on the other side, if you do sets of 15 or 20 for your medial delts, they pump up, they fry, they get sore. But for hamstrings, like sets of 15 and 20, like, yeah, like sometimes it gets you sore. But if you've been doing that for longer than a couple of workouts, it just doesn't do anything, mm. uh, really. So um, it's funny because there's uh, – it brings me back to – I forget what his name was. He was a big bodybuilder a couple of years back, and he was a really good sprint before he's a bodybuilder we're talking like you know top top 100 meter sprinter and he's like they're like what what do you like to do for legs and he's like i do squats and i do leg presses and they're like what else do you do he's like not much and they're like what kind of rep ranges you know a lot of guys say sets of 20 are really great for legs he's like you know i've done sets of 20 and they just burn me out i feel flat afterwards and they don't get me sore nothing happens sets of 8 to 10 is my range and it made perfect sense to me at the time because of course he's a sprinter he's very fast which compared yeah. to even the average bodybuilder so big compound heavy movements are what's going to fuck him up fast twitch fibers probably have more force sensing uh detectors of muscle or, or contributors to muscle growth high forces are probably what grow fast twitch fibers a lot slow twitch fibers they do respond to high forces but they might respond more to volumes of work and and and, and metabolic properties so I, i'd say that for smaller muscles a lot of times smaller muscles do have those slow twitch properties where they do recover faster but also because they're smaller because you can't lift a lot of weight with them they they first of all don't take a ton of damage so they don't need as much recovery to begin with and also when they do begin to recover because they're smaller they're better vascularized a lot of times they recover faster yep very good very good uh okay so we're getting a nice picture of hypertrophy here a couple of things i want to touch on before we go into nutrition uh mrv generally speaking maximum recoverable volume uh higher intensity mrv is less uh and uh higher volume or uh, metabolic metabolite type training the mrv uh, generally speaking would be higher the amount of volume that you can do in a, a given period in a micro cycle um, if the intensities are lower, you can get away with much more
or volume? Would that be a rule? To, yep. oh, absolutely. Intensity is an independent contributor to stress and fatigue. Yep. So, um, you know, how much total volume you can do is total work you can do. If the in average intensity of that work is higher, the disruption is going to be greater. Yep. The easiest way to demonstrate MRV um, with varying intensities is, is by going to the extremes. And when you come back into the center, it still makes a pretty good bit of sense. You know, if I said that you have to walk seven kilometers, uh, you'd be like, okay, that's a pain in the ass, but would you get sore? Would you get, can you do it the next day? You know, are your muscles disrupted? Are they damaged? Like, no, it just kind of, yeah. maybe your feet hurt a little bit. Easy peasy. Right? That's it, right? Uh, for some of us really out of shape folks listening, to yeah. this, maybe it's like, well, fuck you, 7K. Fuck you and that. I would, would <laughs> die, but yeah. yeah. Right. So, but, so, you know, walking is really low intensity. The forces generate are really low. Let's move up in force. If you jog 7K, then the forces are higher, especially the force of the muscle that has to deal with slowing your limbs down as they impact back to the ground. That's a higher force. It's still the same identical volume because you only ran 7K. I mean, literally, yep. the work expended is more or less physics-wise, it's the same mm. or very, very similar. Uh, it's going to fuck you up quite a bit more. Uh, so now it's much difficult, much more difficult to recover from that. Now let's make a, a really big crazy claim. What about sprinting a total of seven kilometers? <laughs> Can you imagine how many hundred meter sprints that is? That is a 70 hundred meter sprints. I, I don't know anyone that wouldn't die from that in one room. I mean, yeah. You literally get rhabdo and fucking die of kidney failure on the way to the hospital. So um, that is way outside of your MRV because the intensity is up. And the same applies to weights. If you do something you can do for a set of 20, you can do a fuckload of sets of 20 yeah, or, yeah. you know, and before you everything goes to hell. But if you're doing singles, how many sets close to your 1RM, 95% of your 1RM, you know, people say like, you know, oh, I did 10 sets of 10 and it fucked me up. Like, okay, agreed, that's really, really hard. But, you know, 10 sets of 10 is tough. What about 10 sets of 1? Yeah. Yes. I mean, if it's a true what one. the fuck? I mean, it's yeah. a true, it's a 95% 1RM, you're, gonna, you're not going to make it. No way, bro. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. Yeah. So, so it's one of those situations where MRV, an individual's MRV varies on a lot of factors. One of them is average intensity. You gotta watch out for that. Uh, Greg Knuckles actually has a great way, a great kind of shortcut, rough guide that works. He he likes to say the number of hard sets yeah. is a really good proxy because you'll notice that a set of 20, 20 reps times the same distance, even if it's a lower weight, it's not that much lower of a weight. So, for example, if you do 10 sets with, uh, sorry, 10 reps with something, you don't have to use half of the weight to do 20 reps with it. You might have to use three quarters of the mm, weight. Yep, yep. So, uh, uh, the volume sets times reps times weight of a 20 uh, uh, rep set is huge, right? Mm. But the volume of a 10 rep set isn't nearly as big. And the volume of a five rep set, even though the intensity is cranked up, is, is much smaller. But... So, so the volume actually goes down with the rep ranges, right? So if you train your low reps, your volume per set goes down. Yep. But the fatigue per that unit of volume goes up. So what Greg likes to say, and it's a brilliant idea, is the number of hard sets doesn't change nearly as much because while volume goes down, intensity goes up, and on average, the MRV stays about the same. So if you speak in number of hard sets, yeah, you know, can you do... 20 hard sets or let's say 15 hard sets of 20 per week yes can you do 15 hard sets of 10 
Probably. Can you do 15 Just. hard sets of five? Yeah, probably also. As you get into the extremes, that starts to not apply anymore. So if you do sets yeah. of 40 really light, you can do way more than 15 of those sets and recover just fine because there's not much damage there. On the other hand, if you go into triples or singles, can you still do 15 singles a week? Maybe not unless you're in a Bulgarian system and you're choking down drugs or something like that. <laughs> so within the normal bodybuilding ranges, counting the number of hard, the number of working sets is a really good proxy for MRV, which tends to obviate that intensity concern. Okay, okay very good, very All good. All right, very good. All right. Okay, Mike. Hypertrophy so fundamentals, done. Let's have a bit of a chat about nutrition at the start. You referenced something that Lyle McDonald had done, and you said, well, yes, you could do your hit cardio, but the percentage improvement that you'll get will only be very small. And I, I gather with your philosophy in the science, there's a certain hierarchy to the yeah. factors that make up a successful diet. Could you just quickly give us a, a, an overview of your hierarchy first, and then we might pick out a few points along the way? It's all supplements, Tom. They're, they're your number one. 80% subs. What about my nutrient timing, though, Rob? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's about 30%. Well, yeah. fellas, you know, the supplements, it's not that you take the supplement, it's that you buy my brand of supplements. Well, that's true. Grind <laughs> yes. for nutrition. Yes, those yeah. are the ones you have to buy because if you're using anything else, you're getting ripped off. Exactly. And we promise 1,000% gains. Mm, mm, very good. Very, <laughs> very good. good. Can you anyone else really promise that? I don't think so. And if they can, we'll beat it. We'll just tweak a little shit in the lab. It'll be 2,000%. Very good, very good. So, uh, so what so, okay, actually matters? What actually matters? <laughs> so the hierarchy. You know, you know, calories are king. All right. You're, okay. You can eat all the protein in the world, but if you don't eat enough calories, you're not going to get jacked. On the other hand, you can fuck around with any part of your diet that you wish. If you don't eat a hypocaloric diet, you're never going to get lean. Um, it's hilarious when people debate this fact. I'll say, well, you know, I don't think calories matter much. Great. If you have a diet that I can eat 4,000 calories and get fucking ripped on, I'd really like to know yeah. what that is because I'm tired of fucking starving myself exactly. for a contest. And everyone, every bodybuilder starves themselves for the shows yeah. and everyone gets ripped yeah. the same fucking way. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the insulin fairy is not a big player. Man, you know, I'd wish it was a bigger player because it would allow for some really cool shit, but it's yeah. just not really the case. Yeah, so yeah. Um, insulin determines partitioning of nutrients, but it doesn't sure. determine overall metabolism to, as, as much at all, really. So um, after that, you get your macros in. Protein's the most important. It's, it plays a smaller role than calories in overall body composition, but a, a meaningful one. Carbohydrates are second. They provide the energy for training. If you try to train hard with lower carbs, you're going to find that that's more difficult than it needs to be. And lastly, you need to have enough healthy fats to supply all of hormonal and other support factors. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. On that, before you move on from macros, a quick uh, ballpark figure: protein, carbs, fats. Rattle that off for our listener. What numbers do you like? Uh, so per kilo body just, weight, just under just under two grams per kilo, one point eight per kilo uh, for uh, protein yep. uh, is more than enough for most cases. I could, you know, some other time we talk again. I could get into the technicalities of when sure. a little more, when a little less is better. For carbohydrates, it depends on your activity level. For hard training bodybuilders, I would say four grams per kilo is a pretty good base. Okay. Um, and then, you know, if you're if you're training mostly sets of five or something sets of three, like a powerlifter, I would say as low as two grams per kilo is just fine. And then for people who are doing a lot of training, multiple sports, endurance, I would say six grams per kilo is a pretty good okay. place to start. And then fats just make up the rest. Fats make up the rest, and I would say going any lower than about. Um, 0.6 uh, grams per kilo is probably not wise for long periods of time Extended because periods. you won't have enough fats to support all the necessary functions. Okay, right. beautiful. Right. Calories in, calories out. 
macronutrients. Yep. What's next on the hierarchy? <laughs> supplements. Yeah. Got to be supplements. You know, we think thousand <laughs> percent. Unfortunately, <laughs> so it's just glutamine, right? It's, yeah. it's the only supplement that works. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, so it's nutrient timing in our view, and okay. in timing, I think the biggest thing we can say is avoiding extremes is probably the best thing. Okay. So. On the one hand, do you need to eat nine times a day? No, it's probably a fucking waste of your time. On the other hand, if you want to do fasting for most of the day, you're probably not going to be nearly as energetic as you want to training. You're probably going to lose a little bit more muscle than you always uh, otherwise wanted. Um, and you run into some other problems. So probably you know, four to six meals per day eat with an even amount of protein is a really good start. Okay. As far as carbohydrates and fat, you want to eat some carbohydrates in the meal before training. If your training is longer than an hour, it's very hard. You probably want to have some carbohydrates and protein during training yep. to offset catabolism and so keep training intensity higher. And uh, after training, you want to consume plenty of carbohydrates and protein and uh, a little bit less fat before and after training because you want uh, those carbohydrates and protein to get to the muscle quicker at those times and not impede either the process of getting the those nutrients to the muscles yep. or the process of digestion, which can be impeded by fats. It can be slowed down. You don't want to be hard, hard, working hard on digesting something when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. In, the, in the process of, uh, you know, lifting or doing heavy squats. Yep. So yeah, that, that's about it for timing. And I think that, you know, eating a, an even spread of protein throughout the day is probably the best timing recommendation you can make. Tell um, me, people you... always ask, you know, how many grams of protein do you need per meal? It's a really easy answer. You take your total, you know, <laughs> two grams per kilo, and you divide it by the number of meals you have. There's your answer. Yeah. Yep. Easy. Uh, before you move on from uh, nutrient timing there, uh, Mike, pre-bed, do you, are you a fan uh, for some, uh, do you like to put, uh, if there's carbs left over, pre-bed? Uh, yeah, totally. You know, bedtime carbohydrate, uh, as long as you don't eat so much of it that you have super high energy levels, I think carbohydrate has a pretty pretty well-demonstrated effect on reducing stress hormones and yeah. cortisol and things of that nature, so it can relax you and it's filling awesome. and it's nice. And uh, in addition to that, uh, I like to have slow digesting proteins before bed that can leach out slowly and prevent muscle loss and support anabolic processes throughout the night. Casein is my go-to or, yeah. or other milk products. Um, yes, I'm a, I've been paid, you know, daily by the milk, uh, the big milk lobby and the global milk, you know, giant octopus made of milk that surrounds this earth. Uh, yes, right. so, but uh, yeah, I think those are, are pretty good go-to things. And it oh. doesn't have to be milk product. It could be, you know, egg protein or it can be uh, some kind of fatty or meat uh, to digest for longer overnight and keeps you uh, nice and anabolic. Okay. okay. All right. So nutrient timing, what's next? Next is uh, tied between food composition and supplements, and I think food composition is much more important for health, but in terms of body composition and performance, it's not super important. Mm. So food composition is where you're getting your proteins, carbs, and fats. Right. For protein, you know, animal sources, complete protein sources have been demonstrated pretty well to be more effective for, especially for muscle growth than plant sources of protein. You're referencing their nutrient density, yeah? So like the, I guess, if it fits your macros, totally. probably not the the best uh, concept, although fundamentally energy balance is king, but long term. So if it fits your macros because it checks off the calories and macros is really good place to start. But like, like every sane advocate of if it fits your macros has ever said, you need to have a diet based on good whole foods that provide a lot of yeah. vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, sure. and fiber. And then it, when you've got some macros left over here and there, you can eat a little bit of bullshit. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, mm. Just if your diet is all bullshit, you run into some troubles where you don't have enough vitamins, minerals, macronutrients, fiber, yeah. et cetera. And, and, and then you're you kind of well fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, from, from the 
position of, uh, uh, you know, hunger and satiety, you know, you're not going to be, yeah. you're going to be fairly really crazy hungry if you eat all really high glycemic carbs and if you eat, um, you know, a bunch of whey protein yeah. and if you don't have, you know, very high levels of fiber intake, fruits, veggies, whole grains, yeah. you're going to be ravenous all the time. So especially yeah. in a contest cutting diet, a lot of the reason the pro bodybuilders and all these other guys that eat broccoli and chicken and all this bullshit you know, yeah. they can say it's for whatever reason, but one of the biggest reasons they do that, and particularly why they have these really high levels of protein intake, is because it kills hunger. If you eat enough protein from whole food sources like chicken and fish and other shit that doesn't taste that great, yeah. and if you eat enough uh, veggies and whole grains and fruits, like, it's just so much food and it fills you up so much that you don't want to eat much after that. But yeah. if you eat Pop-Tarts and Cheerios and shit all the time, you're going to be able to eat a ton of that and it's going to yeah. kill you on your contest. So food composition from a practical perspective is valuable. But, you know, as far as carbohydrates are concerned, there's some stuff with a glycemic index probably not too important. Yeah. As far as fats are concerned, especially from a health perspective, but even for body composition, a diet high in monounsaturated fatty acids is probably best. And a lot of saturated fats probably aren't good for either body composition or health. So sticking to things like peanut butter, nut butters of any kind, olive oil, canola oil, avocados, that's a really good place to start. Um, I'll, I'll as chime opposed in there to like as... bacon and eggs and shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm, bacon. I'll chime in there and also say one of the things that we've discussed before uh, is that I think you call it the taste palate reward hypothesis you know staying away from those uh, flat you know those extreme flavor injections when you are dieting uh, yeah. again leaning towards the like IQ or my clientele as as, as uh, you know boring as it is I actually cue them to you know have minimal seasoning spicing bland foods a variety of foods so they uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, get a, a, a great uh, nutrient density uh, mm-hmm. from a variety of foods but but staying away from that, and none of my guys have cheat meals because as soon as, and I know from myself, and you probably know from when you're dieting, if you if oh, I yeah. have a pizza and some ice cream, man, I, I will kill for pizza and ice cream for the you know the seven days afterwards until I get my next fix, and it's mm-hmm. a you bet. and it's a horrible down, slippery slide, and that's a, another thing to consider there with you um, know it's it's, it's funny process. because the um, this is kind of a really fucked up analogy, but it's not really much of an analogy because it's the same principles working. Um, when they torture people to try to get information out of them to break them they don't just fuck them up because if you just fuck someone up uh, they just shut down on you and a lot of them will just take the shit to their grave Uh, there's only so much you can fuck someone up until they die so a lot of the people just don't beat you up that much what they do is every time you demonstrate the least bit of compliance they reward you and you become addicted to to that reward, reward. And after a yes. while you'll give them anything you want just for a cigarette or a piece of delicious food or some water or for them to turn off the crazy music or the crying baby noises or whatever the hell kind of <laughs> fucked up shit they do <laughs> right. if you are a fan uh, an advocate of cheat meals and you happen to have the kind of personality that's not conducive to yeah. them that's what that shit starts to feel like as soon as you get your pizza you look at it and you eat the first slice. You look at the rest and you go, I have nine more slices until misery is back. (laughs) And then when you finish your pizza, it's five more days of shit and hell until you're happy. Completely agree. And then you at some point make a realization that you're never really ever happy because as soon as you start eating, you know what's gone. But if you can just get, it's like, it's like giving, um, 
crack, you know, to Darren and Damo and, and, and saying, like, here's just a little bit of crack and then just come back seven days later and you know, sooner or later you won't have any cravings. And that's not how it works. It's just a great way to make them even worse. So I think a better option is just to limit how delicious your foods are during cut. Yep. The best place in the world you can be psychologically during a cut is to not be excited about food because yeah. then who gives a shit? You're just, just eating it, whatever. You don't care about it. You care about other things in your life. Sooner or later you're ripped. The show has passed and you're back to eating, you know, uh, chips and all that shit again. <laughs> all right. Good. So that, that was nutrient density and uh, sups. Uh, so very small percentage for sups. Yeah, very small, 5%, I think, at most. I think creatine works really well. Whey protein works pretty well. Uh, casein protein can work okay. Uh, Gatorade and other glycemic carbohydrates during the workout can work pretty well. And Some of that John Meadows stuff with those you know, aminos and high glycemic yeah. carbs. Um, and I think um, uh, you know, for general health, multivitamins, okay. Omega-3s seem to be promising uh, for fat yeah. loss, muscle growth, and just a little bit of an insurance policy there. Stimulants and caffeine and stuff like that can help with hunger and they can help with workout energy. You know, outside of that, man, there's not a whole lot of shit that works. Uh, there's so many supplements. Most of them, unfortunately, do pretty much nothing. Yeah. Okay. So no 2,000%. You know, I unfortunately... I was getting out my credit was, card, uh, Mike. Well, <laughs> you know, listen, if, if it's, that's what else all it's going to take, you might as well just keep it out. We, for a one-time limited offer, only Australian <laughs> customers, 3,000% gains. But hey, listen, it's unsafe for me to go any further because mm. we, mm. we have actually had complaints of bodybuilders ripping their skin open <laughs> and, and then bleeding out and dying well, because of the fact that they're too jacked. They're Funnily too enough, I, I heard uh, Yates uh, back in the day, his hamstring burst through the skin at, at one stage. I don't know if it was true, but it was just such a... Holy shit. But, uh, you know, it was Dorian, so anything's possible. He was riddled with a yeah. few injuries there. So the new product, it's called Trombolone or something, is it? Uh, Trombolone yeah, 10,000? Yeah, we there's a lot of copyright issues. <laughs> you know, there's a picture of a cow on the front, but that has nothing to do with the fact that it's a cattle steroid. <laughs> so uh, it's just because cows are friendly and they're really uh, big, right? Fed. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, Mike, good, uh, Mike. Awesome, as always, uh, to catch up. I think we've pretty much squeezed all that we can out of you in one sitting. Well, well this time around. We'll this get him we'll we'll next time. That's, yeah. that's, that's gross and highly sexual. I'm <laughs> only choosing to hear that in a very sexual way. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say up to the, the Cupping guts the balls. Yeah, Cupping yeah, the balls. Yeah. Balls deep. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll right. throw that one in. Oh, all right, mate. All right, Mike. Thank you for your time, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon, mate. Thanks so much. That was Take wonderful. care, fellas. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Really, you really come to life when you're in the radio studio. Mate, there's, uh, there's plenty to come to life about. Yeah, so. that's great. Well, there he was, uh, Dr. Mike Isretel. What a character. Probably, yeah. actually, we should have said this at the start of the interview, but... Uh, F-bombs. F-bombs. F-bomb alert. There from him. Look, he did clear that with us, and we said, look, uh, balls deep, wizard yep. sleeve. It's, it's all okay on the program. It's totally fine. And what we should also reference is what he's talking about, Royden, and he said this at the start. He looks at extreme results. He wants to get the biggest, the leanest, yes. the strongest. This yes. is all the, the real the extremities of yeah. um, what the human body can do the fundamental uh, hierarchy of importance in regards to energy balance and yes all that type of thing i think that's across the board across the board uh, with that one yeah for sure you know i uh you know a colleague that i that i mentor um you know he sort of uh, explained to me he wants to expand his skill set with different uh, supplements and and uh peptides and things like this and um you know, uh, as much as that's fascinating, and uh, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of uh, coaches are interested in that side of things. And um, the Salim Satir interview had probably prompted a bit of a discussion. But mm. you know, 
get the energy balance right, get the nutrition fundamentals right, and um, the rest all sort of falls into place, you yeah. know. And um, you can know all these other alternatives and uh, means to, to maximize certain things, but if you still haven't quite got that uh, the foundation there, then all the rest is uh, somewhat irrelevant to, yeah. to a degree. So um, some, some really good fundamentals there from Mike anyway. Uh, it was great to have him on, and I'm sure we'll get him on again in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Join us next week for another big episode of Under the Bar Podcast. Check out our website, underthebarpodcast.com. Thank you, and uh, have a lovely day. Thanks, Tommy. <laughs>